Hey, Nick, just looking at um, this label for the Cotswolds. Oh, yeah. It was established in 2014. Good year. Good year. What happened that year? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing of any value whatsoever. <laughs> Whiskey and Ding started. That was when we started. Maybe, just maybe, Nick, they were so inspired by our original YouTube series, they, they foresaw that we were going to have a podcast in a few years and went, do you know what? If we start now, we're going to start a whiskey. It'll be mature. If we start now, we will be episode 10 <laughs> of the Whiskey and Things podcast. It all makes sense, Dave. It all makes sense. And it all worked out perfectly for him. It all worked out so well. You know what, Dave? I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> This week on Whiskey and Things, we speak to the craft whiskey boy himself, Jay Bradley of the Whiskey and Wealth Club. And we bring it home and sample the Cotswolds Distillery Single Malt Whiskey and hear the dulcet notes from our beloved whiskey god. And don't forget, you can keep up to date on our social media platforms. Sometimes there's some extra content as well on Twitter and Facebook at Whiskey and Things and on Instagram at Whiskey and Things Podcast. So that's Whiskey with No E. Don't forget. And if you're feeling kind, please rate, review and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform because I really love just watching the ticker go up. It's like my favourite thing to do. Watching that number go up. I love it. Ah! You're listening to the Whiskey and Things podcast with Dave Giles and Nick Kent. Welcome to Whiskey and Things. Episode 10. Double digits. I am Dave Giles. And I am doing my best to perform as Nick Kent. Rumours are you're a bit hungover, Nick. Yeah, well, it's before noon we're recording (laughs) this. Get a text this morning. Yeah, can we do 11.30 today? Look, I... I got a lot of stuff on. Got a lot of stuff on at the moment. Busy but, man. Uh, yeah, lo- uh, mate. I I loved last week's show. Good job. Uh, it was fun. Big shout out to your sound effect library. Oh, yeah, I found it. Yeah, I forgot I had those. What are you talking about? That was live. I captured that live. Your Lego falling over. Well, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. So so thanks for doing that. That's right, mate. Amar on Patreon has got in contact about uh, your full interview with Jared Scott. Oh really? Uh, uh, yes. Jared was last week's guest. He's a music photographer, has toured all around the States. Nick met him back in 2007, 2008, maybe. 2008, yeah. Uh, When they were both on tour together. And Amar said this. He said he really loved that interview. I always find photographers' stories, especially the tour ones, so fascinating and cool. Especially enjoyed those stories of how you both met and that one where he stayed in the photo pit the whole show. Yeah. Uh, So you can hear the whole of that interview on our Patreon page. And uh, we've been putting up a few three-minute clips up on Facebook, and we will continue to do that as well. Yeah. So you can hear more from Jared Scott. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point, isn't it? Photographers have a, a weird place within uh, a tour, don't they? And it's, it's something something we didn't actually talk about afterwards, but I, I loved it when uh, Jared talked about if you haven't taken a photo of being on tour, are you even on tour? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, these days. <laughs> no, it's true, uh, though, kind of. And, and having someone... To be able to capture the more candid moments is a nice thing. I, for example, Nick, mm-hmm. I was going through my hard drives recently mm-hmm. and I found you were the photographer at my big show at Shepherd's Bush Empire back in 2009 with oh. my old band, of Riley's. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you had what must have been a precursor to a GoPro, a little camera that you were just using and you, you filmed about six or seven videos before we went on stage in the dressing room, thus warming up. Oh, that was a flip camera. 
back yeah, in the day. It, yeah, little it was, flip camera. It was just complete fly on the wall. Everyone was just ignoring. We were all ignoring you because we knew you were that. there. I completely and forgot really about it. it's really interesting footage. And for obviously, I've not watched it in eleven years. Yeah, no, or you've whatever. forgotten what happened as well. So it's yeah, new to and you it was too. just it was it was wonderful. And seeing seeing particularly for that show, it was the biggest show I'd ever done, and seeing the different emotions that I clearly was going through mm. was really fascinating. It was really fascinating. Wow. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for capturing that. But No worries, Dave. Photographers do have a weird... 80 quid. They do, have a, they do have a strong place on the tour, don't they? Well, their job is to just observe as well. That's, that's why sometimes their stories might be a bit different from bands who are touring because they got to sit back, you know, and just observe everything so they kind of see things in a different way. Would you ever like to tour as a photographer? I know you've obviously toured a musician. To. yeah. I'd love to. Oh, you kind of have done with me, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I was going to say, you? yeah. Kind yeah, of have yeah, yeah. Driver, stroke, photographer. I do. Yeah, I love doing that kind of stuff. So, Nick, the question on everyone's lips, <sighs> where is Marty? Oh, I think, right, people will be pleased to know. I think I did set Marty free. He's gone. I think he's gone. I let one out, right? And since then, all the flyers that have been in my house have been real assholes. <laughs> You lost your mate. You lost your only lockdown mate. I'm, I know. I know it was hard. It was hard, but he deserved to be out in the wild. He's probably been eaten by a bird by now. But, <laughs> but we need to have. At least I, I, I should laugh. I feel like we need to have. Uh, <laughs> Nature is metal, mate. I, th- I feel like this show should be dedicated to the memory of Marty McFly. Wow. Yeah, we'll just take a, a moment's silence for Marty. Right, that's our moment. That's fine. He's only a fly. He doesn't need a whole minute. A he doesn't need a whole minute, mate. That would do. That would yeah. do. Yeah, right, should we, uh, should, we, should we crack on? Well, no, the thing is, because <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up my um, oh, my spelling from last week. How could I forget? How could you forget? Oh, my I'm God. I'm surprised. I'm going to bring it up myself because oh, I'm going to own up to it. God, How do you this spell is amazing. Teeling, and I spelt it T-E-E-I-N-G. Oh my god! So Lauren sent me a text. This is why I forgot because it was in my text messages, and I, 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 she sent me a message going, "Did Nick do that on purpose?" I'm like, "What?" It's like I had to listen to it four times to see if he'd said it right. Yeah, and I, of course, we listened to it numerous times before the show goes oh out, my and I didn't even god. notice. But I'm blaming you, Dave. It's all your fault. That's the thing. It's all your fault. Why? Right? Why? Because I, I, I only pronounced it. I only spelt it out because you pronounced it Teelin. Right, you drop the G off the end of it with your native London tongue. So I felt I had to actually spell it to everyone and then got it wrong. Tea in. Nick, tea Nick, dr- Nick drank some tea in last week. Tea in. <laughs> tea ling. T-E-E. Anyway, I promise to spell this week's properly. The easiest spelling whiskey we've had in 10 weeks. And you got it wrong. Amazing. Well, Amazing. I'm only human. Just goes to show. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> anyway, let's find out what this week's whiskey is, shall we? Whiskey bots roll out. This week's whiskey. We're bringing it home, Dave. We're bringing it home. It's coming home. home. It's coming home. It's coming. It's coming. Try to harmonise. Really it's coming home. Cotswolds Distillery Single Malt. We are going with this week. Cotswolds is spelt K-O-T-S-W-U-L-D-D-D-Z. Everyone, you can uh, fact check me on that one. I'm pretty sure I've got that one right. 
This is our first yeah, I, English one. Is there many English whiskies? That's my first question I'm going to ask you. There's only a couple, it's, I think. It's not many. Nice. It's my understanding. So it's another 46% and it's another yes. early start. <laughs> yeah, so the chances are I'm going to get wasted again. <laughs> oh, good. You've got nothing else to do today. Don't worry we about both, it. Uh, we both have our drinks by the dram sized bottles. Sample. 30 milliliter shots. And we both poured it into our Glen Kerrins. Yeah. Um, so let's have a have a little sniff, shall we, Nick? Shall we? What's it like on the nose? I'm getting um, orange zest off the top. Wow, yes. You getting that? Straight away. It's meant to have honey. I am picking up a bit of honey as well. Me too. It reminds me of uh, a honey and lem- lemon tea. You'd know. Yes, because it's got that citrus and, and honey thing going on. So this feels like the perfect whiskey, just from smelling it, the perfect whiskey for when you're trying to make your voice a bit better when you're on tour and you're feeling a bit delicate. Put this in a, in a, some hot honey and onion lemon. Oh. Add a little bit of this for a little bit of uh, zing for your vocal cords. But I haven't tried so it yet. Anyway, let's, let's, let's move on. We're going to move on to the taste. just so early nick <laughs> well um <laughs> it's very fruity it's very citrusy the finish anyway it's a very citrusy finish it's bold i think it's another one of those ones that would definitely work well in many cocktails i can imagine this is an old-fashioned for sure you reckon oh yeah of this course yeah a, yeah yeah with the orange this would be a delightful old-fashioned a bit of a twist for it not being a bourbon as well because most old fashions are made with bourbons but not single malts but yeah this would be um you know, mix it up a bit. Yeah, a bit smokier. I'm getting some black pepper on the uh, end. Oh, yes. As well. Now you've said it. Now you've said it. So what do we know about um, the Cotswolds Distillery? <laughs> Nick, I, wow. Because I, I am more aware of them as makers of gin. Yes, they do. That's kind of what they were, were known of. Were known of? Were known for. They were known of. Yeah. yeah. Um, gin spelt J-I-N, of course. So is the whiskey thing a new thing? Yeah, it's a pretty new thing for them. It's all locally grown barley, floor malted. Nice. It's quite a young one, actually, which is quite interesting. It's only been aged between three and four years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's quite young. But it's still got, you can tell, though, loads of flavour to it. Yeah. You know, You wouldn't have said that for a young... Yeah. And I think it's to do with a couple of things. One, they um, usually, when they're fermenting the beer, the mash, etc., in that part of the process, they usually ferment it for about 48 to 60 hours. But for this, they went to, like over 90 hours, which apparently gives it a fruitier flavour. That would be it. There it is. And as well, they're matured in ex-bourbon casks, but also reconditioned red wine casks as well, which they rechar. So they burn the insides again. So that might give it a more intense flavour as well. Ah, so that's where some of the smokiness is coming from. It's yeah. not too smoky. It's not overbearing, but there definitely is a smoky yeah. smoky vibe to this. But again, it's got a lot of colour. And a lot of flavour. For so something young. so young. Yeah, that, that that's probably where that's coming from, isn't it? Mm. I, I like this. I do want to try it in a cocktail. I'm not going to lie. You do you. Go get um, some. Go get it. Go get it. Do it now. I, do it live on I haven't got any air. stuff, Nate. I haven't got any stuff. <laughs> that's one thing I wish I had in, actually, was some cocktail Orange. equipment, as it were. Yeah, yeah. But this is gorgeous. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of this. Um, 
I don't, I don't have too much to say other than this is the second week in a row I've tried something new and really liked it. Well, hopefully we won't get too many bad ones. Otherwise, this job would be really rubbish. No, but I'm talking, I really like, this is really tasty. Sometimes whiskey on the finish can leave a, a taste in your mouth and you're like, eh. I, I, I'm enjoying my whiskey breath. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying my midday whiskey breath. Um, <laughs> which is something I didn't think I would say. I'm glad you are. Anyway, shall we uh, shall we crack on with the things? Yeah, yeah. Later on, you'll be able to hear what the whiskey god has to say about this. Just get the things over with. This week's things. <laughs> this week's things. What do you reckon? No, I, I don't yeah, know. it kind of works. Kind of works. Keep it in, Nick. I'll keep it in. You like I that? like it when we just ad lib. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's new. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that is new. So, right. uh, so Nick, what have you been up to this week? This week, David, um, I've been yes. involved in another isolation video, which seems to be something oh, yeah. I've been doing quite a bit of recently. It's actually another one which is Green Day related. Um, but this is the biggest one yet. The biggest one yet. The biggest one yet. Yeah, it's been my first time. What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, would be. Hang on. <laughs> that brings up so many questions. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. I'll put it in the Patreon page. Anyway, for the listeners who aren't aware, um, I play bass in Green Day's American Idiot musical here in the UK. Oh yeah, you've never mentioned it before. So uh, yeah, well, people might be starting to listen on episode ten, mate, and then working us, working their way back. Nick was also on the Warp Tour a few times, but that's another story. Anyway, carry on. That's many other stories. You ever done Warp Tour, Dave? No. No. Anyway. <laughs> Cast member Alexis Jared is also my barber. Just going to put that in there. Great barber. He came up with the idea of putting together this video and organised it, edited it as well. It's basically a Green Day medley containing like 30 plus cast members from the last three runs of American Idiot the Musical. Are you saying cast members or cask members? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> it keeps sounding you hear what like you want to hear. <laughs> I keep hearing you saying cask. I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah, <laughs> they're all in barrels. Over thirty reconditioned red wine <laughs> cask members. <laughs> um, it's a medley of Green Day songs arranged by another cast member, cast, cast member, member. Um, Steve Rushton. Our musical director, Rob Three Pints Wicks, arranged the vocal <laughs> harmonies for this beautifully. And um, also we've got the old 2016 band in it as well, which is fun to play with them again. Tommaso Vivello, Alexis Machizone. What a name. Is that uh, actually how you pronounce it? Can you spell that for us, Nick? <laughs> M-A-R-C-H-R-I-S-O-N-E, apparently. Good thing I put that in my notes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But this one's full of stars, mate. This one's really fun, right? You've got Aaron Sidwell, who apparently plays Stephen Beale in EastEnders. I don't watch it, but, you know, millions of people do. Newton Faulkner's in it. Nice. Good to be in the video with him. Amelia Lilly, um, X Factor and of Celebrity Big Brother fame. We've got Friends of the Show, Dave. X Factor stars Sam Lavery and Luke Friend as well. Nice. Some listeners might remember from... Episode one. Brief. <laughs> the brief part the, in the, episode one. The absolute one. grilling you gave them in episode one. And yeah, as I said before, like 30 cast members from the last three runs. So it's really fun. Of course, it was to raise money. Um, that was the point of it. It's, you know, it's nice for us to get to do something and, you know, 
keep boredom at the door. But at the end of the day, it was to uh, raise money and awareness for a couple of causes. Um, it's to raise money for the Ben Kinsella Trust, who campaign against knife crime and educate young people about its dangers, helping them make positive choices and to stay safe. And a second charity, which is the Balm Theatre, which are located in the Cotswolds, funny enough, um, which is a theatre which may not be able to reopen after lockdown unless they get some, oh, no. unless they get some support, which a lot of theatres are going through at the moment. But yeah, For a couple sure. of good causes there. So I found out you'd done this because mm-hmm. Green Day tweeted it. Green Day did tweet it. Yeah, Green Day are aware. That's pretty cool. Or their social media team are. It helped it help spread the word, which is good. And the uh, the writer of the show actually saw it as well. Oh, nice. Michael Mayer. Um, he described it as balm for the soul, which is lovely. So I will put a link in the doobly-doo for, for that video. And yes, also please. I'm sure we'll be sharing it on our various social media platforms. Yes, we will. As yes. always, as always. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Good one. Um, thanks, dude. Um, enjoy. What have you been doing this week, Dave? Fuck all squared, mate. Okay, great. Um, so this week's interview. <laughs> this week, I've had uh, an interesting week, actually. I'm in the middle of a process. So in January, uh, I was I applied to be part of um, a songwriting workshop Yeah, w- with a group called the Hackney Elders. This was run by the UK Americana Music Association, and uh, they wanted to team up some songwriters with some older people in the Hackney community to write some songs about their stories. And there was, there was six of us and we got together with these, uh, these older people and we had the best couple of days. Really great. Getting to yeah, know yeah, new yeah. people, hearing some stories and we got some great songs out of it. Everyone got a really good song out of it. And, um, there was a little film made about that experience, a little 15 minute film. And it, the whole thing was just great for the soul. It was wonderful. Yeah. And the plan was that the Americana Music Association was going to do this with other songwriters in different groups. And, and for the Windrush Festival that was coming up, they were going to get some more songwriters in to, to write songs specifically about the Windrush generation. Okay. However, because of the lockdown, they couldn't obviously have the workshop and they wanted to use people that knew what the score was. So the same songwriters from January have been called up again and said, hey, do you want to do it again via FaceTime and stuff like that? So I've been working with this guy called Ngoma Bishop. Uh, Ngoma is spelled N-G-O-M-A. And uh, he's a, he's in his 60s and uh, he came over when he was eight years old from Barbados. And he has had a very interesting life and I've been spending all week getting to know him a little bit every day and we're going to start writing a song. Amazing. The whole process is wonderful. And he is a bit of an artist himself, a bit of a writer. And we were in the middle of our first phone call, first two-hour chat, and uh, we were talking about, I asked him a question about his schooling and, and what that was like and what he's like. We were talking about his, his childhood and his youth and this, that and the other. And he just went, hang on a moment, uh, I wrote a poem about this years ago. And he <laughs> recited a poem. Oh, just there and then. Out of the blue. Just out of the blue. And it was incredible. Wow. And I'm literally sitting there like, <laughs> what just happened this is amazing and it was so powerful so so powerful and then he gets to the end and he goes oh yeah I had to make up the last verse I forgot it but the, <laughs> you would never have guessed it was it was seamless like oh, wow. it didn't look like he broke thought at any yeah, point yeah 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 uh, and I was like oh my god so we're in the middle of that process at the moment uh, and I look forward to finishing that off. So that's oh, why amazing. we're that's why we're actually meeting early this week is because when we finish, I've got another uh, another little meeting with him. Great. Well, I'll allow um, it then. I'll allow it. 
yeah, so uh, it, it, it should be a lot of fun finishing that off. And just also, good for, again, good for the soul. And, and, and the songwriters are all getting together afterwards for a meeting as well and on Zoom just to share our experiences of what's going on and share the stories. Yeah. Good thing about good songwriting is it's all about sharing stories and sometimes that can be forgotten. And that's the tradition of songwriting is it's about spreading a story that would needed to be told. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the folklore. Three chords and the truth, mate. Yes, and and it's nice to remember that you that, that that's what we do, and uh, and that the, the story is is actually the important part a lot of the time, not yeah, just how much coin you can earn. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we also had a very interesting meeting this week, didn't we, Nicholas? We did have a very interesting meeting. Do you want to explain it? Yeah. So you may remember last week I introduced uh, a bottle of whiskey which someone had purchased for me, which was a special edition bottle number one hundred and sixty nine of three hundred odd whatever it was cask strength. Apollo 13 branded whiskey from Highland Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we discussed briefly about whether it's worth anything, like or whether it's an investment. Should I drink it or, or is it investment? Yeah. Can you sit on that? Exactly. So it made me think we need to get someone on who knows about these things. So fortunately, I'm actually getting in contact with a guy called Jay Bradley, who's the founder of the Whiskey and Wealth Club. A brief summary of what they do. You buy casks of whiskey through them which are brand new casks. So when, when the whiskey, a cask being a barrel, when the whiskey is first put into them, that's when you buy them at year zero. New make, new make in the barrel. Exactly, they call it new make. Uh, and you buy it for however many years, you pay a price and it covers insurance and all that kind of stuff and, and the storage. And then you sell it after five to 10 years. Now, uh, this is expensive, so we're not doing this to tell everyone that you should be doing this, but it was a very long chat. Very interesting chat. And a very, chat. very interesting chat. This guy really knows his whiskey. But one thing he did say about if, if someone hears this and wants to get into investing in whiskey and wants to talk to these guys, afterwards please note that jay was very clear that this should be part of your bigger picture investment portfolio and you shouldn't put all your eggs in this basket although he thinks it's a good thing it has its pros and cons which i'm sure you can look into we'll give you all the details later but essentially jay is an irish guy worked within bars most of his life and uh, wanted to start doing his own craft Irish whiskey because he was looking around and seeing that there wasn't many smaller brands of Irish whiskey and wanted to start his own. He wanted to get in on that and found a gap in the market for both that and a way of, of helping smaller distilleries in Ireland and also investors. And he's also then gone into Scotch. And one of the things you, you may say, well, why can't I get in contact with the distilleries directly and do this without a middleman? You probably can. But these guys it's all set up. are getting some very unique whiskies themselves. They've got special distillers coming in, master distillers, who are making stuff exclusively from them. So it's not just that uh, you're getting new make. You're getting a, a very special kind of brand, which you can then do what you want with at the end. For the listener's benefit, he does touch on the Irish whiskey history. The Irish whiskey industry was one of the biggest in the world, but due to the invention of a new type of still that the Irish didn't want to adopt, the Scottish companies kind of took over, along with prohibition, eliminating the American market and the Second World War, etc. The number of Irish distilleries went down to about two or something after they had to create a monopoly to kind of survive. So just bear that in mind as we talk to Jay Bradley. Welcome to Whiskey and Things. Very cool podcast. I'm glad that you guys are doing it. Oh, thanks for coming on board. How did you start working with whiskey? It's a good question. Um, so I got I got into the bar game really, really young. I was 14 when I left school. I left to go and work in my dad's furniture factory. And um, and at nighttime, it was kind of commonplace in our household to try and work two jobs. So at nighttime, I worked as a lounge boy, you know, delivering drinks. And then 
eventually by 16 upgraded to a barman and you know stayed a barman and became the bar manager then as a part-timer moved to australia uh, became a bar manager over there and just stayed in the bar game for a while uh, eventually getting out and, and running sales and marketing companies and, and getting into different industries and when i kind of sem- semi-retired so to speak i bought a bar uh, an old wine bar and i converted it into a whiskey bar cocktail bar and a smokehouse of it one of my passions on the side is to barbecue so i used to do competitive Ooh. barbecue and yeah it's fun yes and when i had all that i really started to take notice this was going back a number of years ago about irish whiskey because when i bought the bar uh, there was only two irish whiskeys on the shelf and then i started looking around all the bars and i started taking notice that there was actually most of the money had one which was jemison sometimes you'd find tullamore or bushmills beside it if it was a great bar like but then even high-end restaurants michelin star restaurants Everywhere, you'd look at this big list and you'd see 15 or 20 single malts, a bunch of other blends from Scotland. You'd see 10 or 12 Japanese, the same in bourbon, even more Canadian than Irish. You'd see two Irish. And I was like, hang on a sec, we, Irish invented whiskey. Uh, why is why is it not prominent? So I started researching, started looking into it and seeing what happened. Obviously, after doing all this research and understanding that Irish whiskey was now about to start kicking again and knowing that, you know, what made Scotch so big, Scottish whiskey was lots of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs create innovation. If you've got one company holding a monopoly, well, then it's one board of directors deciding what happens with that whole category, which was to stay small and not export and don't get hurt again. Scottish were the opposite. They had hundreds of distilleries and they were all competing against each other for the same money. So the, then you had like the likes of the McCallum going single malt and high end and you had, you know, famous grouse going for the blends. You had all these different innovations going on. And now I knew that that was about to come into Irish whiskey. So I always wanted to get in from that perspective. My dad got sick and I was back in Ireland and he helped me start this whole thing. He helped me start Whiskey and Wealth Club. It was his passion and mine together. And, uh, and that's essentially how I got in. One night we're sitting up having a whiskey in Dublin at his uh, kitchen table. And we talked about the, what happened and where it went. And I told him what I wanted to do now that I'm back in Ireland. Cause he goes, what are you going to do son for money? And I said, I said, well, look, I'm not going to start another bar. I mean, the hours are crazy when you have a family and kids, it's probably not the best lifestyle. It's fun, but it's not the best, but I do like the alcohol lifestyle. Right. <laughs> so I was like, well, how can I, how can I do the same thing, but do a nine to five and whiskey was the answer to that. So that's where it all started from. Whiskey is the answer. Whiskey was the answer. It doesn't matter what the question is. Yeah, yeah. How did you get working into whiskey? Whiskey is the answer. (laughs) Whiskey and my dad. (laughs) So tell us a bit more about the the Whiskey Wealth Club. Give us a bit of a summary about what the uh, structure is of that. Yeah, so when when we sat there uh, napped in and out the the concept of, of growing a whiskey company, whiskey isn't cheap. Uh, you know, you have to buy it and sit on it for a number of years. Or if you don't have that ability, uh, you're buying mature stock, which is obviously through the roof. I only had a limited amount of capital, so I didn't have enough to go and build a huge, big whiskey company. So we said, well, how, what can we do that everybody else is doing? And I looked across the industry and what most of them were doing was selling these casks of whiskey for like six and a half grand uh, to buy a cask of whiskey as a novelty, because you could obviously never resell that for at least another 15 years, maybe 20 years before. So yeah, so I looked at uh, this kind of, space and I was like well what, what what can we do and we started going around touring around distilleries me and my dad talking to them about buying their new make off them and they would give us their pricing list and they all had a kind of similar matrix it was new make is this price one year old is this price two year olds that price three year olds that price. and it was all similar I was like hang on a sec if you bought new make by the time it was five years old then I mean it, it nearly what new make was one year old was nearly double that price two year old was nearly double the one year old price and it was going yeah. like that so I thought well okay hang on a sec if we bought lots of new make and we sold it to somebody, but we put a margin on it as profit. But in, in, in that margin, we paid for five years of storage and insurance. 
Well, then someone could buy it. The distillery gets to win by selling us a percentage of their stock, right? Because most distilleries, they make whiskey, they lay it down to rest, and you know they can't make money on it for five or 10 years. But what if they could sell 30% of that to us and get cash day one and then lay the other 70? So it's a win for them. They sell us a percentage of their stock. We then put our margin on it. We get a win, but then the investor that, or, or the client or whoever it might be that wants to buy it, the collector, they get to sit on it. And in five years time, it's worth more than what they paid for it. Nothing's really safe. We learned that in 2008. We've learned it again just now with the coronavirus. Nothing's really safe, as safe as they claim it can be. Whiskey is one of those things that you know if you're sitting on a cask of whiskey, nothing's really going to happen to it other than that 2% evaporation. Generally speaking, you could get obviously full leakage, but you, you know, the warehouse keeper picks up on that. No one breaks in and steals casks of whiskey. They're too heavy, right? <laughs> and if you have it fully insured anyway, your downside is effectively covered. And then it's just a matter of what did you pay for it? Because if you paid too much for it, you're going to have to wait many, many years to get a return. But if you paid a, yeah. a fair price, well, then over time you are going to make a return. Obviously, with, with, within that, you've got the, uh, the fact that because it gets better with age... Uh, and therefore the value should increase because the, the quality's up. It's a longer term investment, so it can ride out a, a, a recession. That's exactly it. That's the, that's the thing. Like whiskey is one of those things where if you look at a chart of whiskey prices over like a 30 or 40 year period, and then you look at the markets, the markets are constantly doing this. They're going up and they're, they're hitting a high and then they're falling. You, you get recession, you know, expansion and contraction. That's just the nature of markets. But whiskey just tends to keep getting more valuable with age because what happens in Irish whiskey and Scottish whiskey across the board is the majority of it goes to blends. Oh, nearly, I think it's 89% of all Scottish whiskey has gone to blends and the other 11% is sold as a single malt. And what happens is a blend, you don't want it to get past eight years. So the vast majority of whiskey that's made today will be gone and into bottle by year eight. So if you're holding casks past that point, year 10, year 15 and so on, it, it eventually gets rarer and rarer and rarer. And as you said, the price goes up. Just, just for those who don't know, roughly how many bottles are in a cask, like standard? Depends on the age of the cask, because obviously every year it gets less and less. Yeah. Generally speaking, by year five, you'll have about 385 bottles in a cask. Because people okay. get confused. They're like, oh, it's only a 200-liter cask. How can you have 385 bottles? Well, what, what they don't understand is what's in that cask is a high ABV spirit. It can be up as high as 68% alcohol. So when it comes yeah, out of that, you're going to add the water to it to get it to 46. So you're going to have more bottles of whiskey. So of yeah, about 385. So um, if you take, for example, we sell a cask of whiskey up here for, depending if it's Scotch or Irish. Irish is like 2,900 euros. Um, Scottish is like 1,950 pounds to 2,000 pounds, depending on the distillery. When you break it down, there's 385 bottles in a cask, right? I'll just do the math on this, because I know what, what the price is in Irish, but I don't know off the top of my head in Scottish. So you go 1950 is what you pay all in. That gives you a cask of whiskey, five years of storage, five, oh, sorry, in Scottish, we pay for 10 years of storage and 10 years of insurance in Scottish wow. whiskey. Because Scottish whiskey is traditionally double distilled, Irish is traditionally triple. Uh, Irish whiskey can be drunk and palatable because it's a warmer climate at five years to seven years. Scottish whiskey, you really, in my opinion, you wanted to go past 10 years if you can. Um, yeah. But yeah, so if you divide that down um, by the 385 bottles, and let's just say because it's gone to 10 years, there's only 350 bottles. It's costing you £5.50 for a bottle of whiskey. That's your all-in cost for a 10-year-old exclusive Scotch whiskey. So it's not... 
It's not extortionately high. Now, obviously the five pounds is your all in cost. You still have to pay for your bottle and your label. You still have the, the, the HMRC duty uh, customs. But yeah, you get out of jail for, I'd say around the 15 pound mark, 15 to, 15 to 19 pound mark uh, in what it costs all in. And then you've got a really nice 10 year old. And if you want to mature for another 10 years, then you know, it'll cost you another three, 400 quid all in. So before, before we move on to, to other whiskey related topics, sure. um, I, I got I got bought this bottle and I want to just run your run it run it by you. Dave is a big space fan, by uh, the way. Yeah, I, I love space travel, right? So someone someone sent this Houston, we have a problem, 13-year-old, Highland Park. It's bottle number 169 of 322, blah, 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 blah. When someone gets you this kind of thing, yeah. does this become a single mini investment? Is this the kind of thing I should sit on or should I open it up and enjoy like i know this is on a very small scale compared to what you're talking about but it's a collectible yeah i mean look they're all collectibles and they're all something that, that eventually there'll be no more of in the future um there's one obviously collectible whiskies when they're from a, a really well-known brand like a release that they've done themselves that was only limited will be was is a much safer investment um like if mccallan did a specific release and it was only a thousand bottles you know, in 10 years time, most of those will be drunk and you're one of the ones left with five of them. They become super valuable. But those, absolutely. I would keep it or open it. Whiskey should be drunk either way, you know? So yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, one of, it's one of those ones where it's like, someone got it for me. I'm, there's still a couple of bottles left online. It's, it's part of me just wants to go and buy another bottle. Yeah, yeah. Drink, drink, that, drink that one. one. <laughs> and keep this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that one mint, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, crack that bottle open, Dave. That's and buy advice. another one. And, buy- <laughs> <laughs> and also, you got to say fifteen quid for a nice bottle of ten year old. That's that's not a bad deal. After it's not a bad deal, is it? I mean, obviously, you just got to wait for ten years, <laughs> and you'll have three hundred of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> bargain. <laughs> but yeah, you can do the maths there and see that there, there are some. You know, if you have the money, then uh, there, there could be some good little investment options there for you if you wish. Now, I, I did have to cut out a lot. Uh, within this and there's a second part of the interview coming out where we talk about more general whiskey stuff not just investing um but there was so much stuff in this we talked about different exit strategies um a great story about a guy who's going to fund his daughter's wedding by the fact oh, yeah, he bought some castle whiskey so obviously the whole interview will go up on our patreon page but we're going to break down a few more chunks to go on facebook and youtube because there was some really interesting stuff and and he, and he was such a lovely guy, and people should see his face as well. Beautiful face. What a beautiful face. Beautiful man. Anyway, is it whiskey god time? Whiskey! So yeah, Jay Bradley really knows his stuff, doesn't he? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! Calm down, God. Oof. I think you finally met your match, that's all I'm going to say. He is a mighty fine Irishman. Handsome and brave. But does he have... This voice. Well, you do have the voice. Although he has the accent. <laughs> do you like an Irish accent? <laughs> anyway, God, what do you have to say about this Cotswolds Distillery single malt whiskey? Cotswolds Distillery single malt. Tasting notes. On the eyes. A light honey amber on the nose. Butterscotch and spicy cereal grain. Honeyed porridge followed by sweet citrus fruits. Look out for a hint of dense marzipan 
which will revisit you in the early finish later on in the experience. On the palate, creamy and beautiful, a hearty mouthfeel, that sweet citrus ending in a freshly ground black pepper note. On the finish, enjoy a lengthy spiced sugar ending in that marzipan and just the slight tinges of the sweet, deep citrus fading away at the end. Overall, for a four-year-old whiskey, they have packed quite a bit of love and refinement. This is the first single malt whiskey from the Cotswolds Distillery, situated in one of the most beautiful parts of England. They use local barley, distilled in beautiful copper pot stills. Finished in casks that already produced bourbon and red wine. This is a very anticipated product, and I suggest that you try this incredible English example at a proper single malt whiskey. At your nearest convenience, of course. Ta-da! How many years can a single malt be made in an English country hmm, garden? Oh, he's singing again, Dave. Give the listeners hey, what they want. That's give what I say. them what they want. Love it. Oh, which reminds me, on Patreon this week, we did have the first Whiskey God Sing session. <laughs> uh, we, we, did, we, we did have a request on Patreon for a song from the Whiskey God, and it has gone up. So uh, I'll check that out. If you want to go over to Patreon... Forward.com forward slash whiskey and things, whiskey with Noe. You might hear uh, the, go- <laughs> the God singing Gaga. The whiskey Gaga. Anyway, thanks, God. Yeah, thanks, God. Appreciate that. We'll hear from you again next week. That whiskey God has notions. So, as we said earlier, Jay Bradley is very knowledgeable about all things whiskey. So, we gave him a few questions about whiskey, not just about investing in whiskey, but just the general whiskey world. Uh, things we thought would be interesting. There was a great question that Nick asked, which ended up being too long for this part, but we will put that up on our channels, where we asked him about what his favourite vessel was to drink whiskey out of. Yeah, it was really interesting. This guy's got opinions about all things whiskey, and it was great talking to him. So let's hear some more from him. India is um, like one of the biggest markets for whiskey. Are they making their own whiskey, do you know, or are they mainly sourcing from... Scotland, etc. They're definitely making their own. Guys like Amrut and uh, and those guys, Rampour, they're definitely making their own whiskies, and they're making great whiskies. The Amrut Fusion is a really nice whiskey if you want to try it. Um, slightly peated. They they don't peat their own barley there. Um, you can grow barley in India right up the north, but the majority of the time they're just buying peated barley from Scotland or Ireland. Um, but yeah, they're making their own whiskey over there. And obviously, when they say whiskey is the biggest market in India, the thing you have to be careful of is. It's quite a small market in a sense of what we would call whiskey or what we would drink and know as whiskey. They have a different style of whiskey, which is nearly more closer to a rum. And that's what they're doing, like 30 million cases per brand of, like Officer's Choice, uh, which is, I think, their number one brand at the moment, or at least up there. And that's selling more cases per year than the likes of Smirnoff, like 13-something million cases a year. It's, like, massive. So by a country mile, the biggest spirit in the world is... Indian whiskey but it's made with molasses so it's not really they couldn't sell it in England and call it whiskey it would be called like a spirit 
Um, but they, but they do make whiskey over there. So it's just small. They make single malt like they do in Scotland or Ireland or, mm. or Japan for that matter. And uh, yeah, but it's it's uh, a smaller part of their market. So are there any countries that we should be that we should be looking at? in terms of emerging markets or emerging whiskey manufacturers? I was in New Zealand at the end of last year and I went to the New Zealand whiskey collection and you're saying Tasmania was a big place for whiskey, which I wasn't aware of. Yeah, it is. Hellier's Road down in Tasmania. Um, and yeah, Tasmania being that south, it's, you would think being so south in Australia would be super hot, but it's not because it's gone so far past the equator now. It's actually coming more like a climb closer to Ireland, so to speak, uh-huh. um, because it's coming down close to Antarctica, right? So yeah, it's it's a great, great, great region for making whiskey, great region for making beer. The Tasmanian beers are phenomenal. Their whiskies are really good. So that's a definite one to always look out for is a Tasmanian whiskey. That'll become really big in the future. I think one of the markets to really keep an eye on, although it's been around forever and everybody knows it, is America, is bourbon. And I know it sounds good, not bourbon, but just American whiskies is everyone knows of bourbon, you know, it's everywhere, the Jack Daniels and, and the Bullet Bourbons and all those, the Four Roses. Um, but the thing is, there's all these unique craft. I mean, they, they've got over two and a half thousand distilleries now in America. Mm. In contrast, in Scotland, they've got 130. In Ireland, we've got 31. America's mm. got over 2,000. So there's going to be some amazing whiskies coming out of there in the next five or 10 years. Do you foresee um, a whiskey cocktail trend coming along? Because you know how with the gin market has been revolutionized over the last couple of years because Fever Tree come out with a whole load of great tonics different flavoured tonics, and it really has given the gin market a huge boost. Can you see a, a, a trend coming with that soon? For the, is marketing-wise, can you see that coming? Yeah, I definitely do. I think it's already coming strong, um, 100%. Like, whiskey cocktails now are getting really, really popular um, for, for men and women. Um, again, with all these different types of styles of whiskeys, you know, the rye that are coming out, the oat, the oat that they're using in a lot of whiskeys, flavour profiles. I see that being a massive piece of the market because women in whiskey is starting to get very, very big. I mean, Glenn Fiddick just spent a fortune on an ad. You should check it out if you haven't had a chance yet, which is, it's really cool. It goes right back to the, the dark ages of like, you know, the 1700s when whiskey was first being made and women couldn't touch it. And then the woman breaks down through a wall and all of a sudden it goes into like prohibition time and she's drinking it. And then it breaks another wall and it goes into the 1980s. And she's drinking more of it. And then it goes right to today where it's like the woman is the main one drinking whiskey. So they're kind of showing. You see a lot of it. Jim Beam hired uh, Ashton Kutcher's wife. What's her name? Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis, yeah. She's done some ads. So you can slowly but surely start to see what's happening in that space. I see it being huge, whiskey cocktails. I do see that being a bit of a more of a trend because there's a lot of whiskey bars opening up now. Um, Mm -hmm. We were in New York in November shooting some videos for our YouTube channel again. And yeah, the amount of whiskey bars that were there were just insane. There's one, if you ever get to New York to check out, called the Flatiron Room, which is really cool. And there's thousands of bottles of whiskey in there. Really, really cool spot. What is your your favourite whiskey cocktail? Favourite whiskey cocktail? Uh, it's a toss-up between an old-fashioned and a whiskey sour. Very plain and very normal. Uh, but they, I just, you can't beat them. Like a sm- Probably a smoky old-fashioned would win, hands down, if I had to pick one for my last cocktail. That would be it. So that'll be made with a smoky. That'll be made with like an Isla Scotch. There'll be some smoke put in there as well. If you won, if you won the lottery tomorrow, and you were going to buy one bottle of whiskey, which you were going to drink at that moment to celebrate, so money's no object. Which is your dream whiskey that you perhaps have never had that you've always wanted? Uh, maybe you've had it already, but if you were just going to get one amazing bottle to celebrate, money's no object. What would it be? Oh, that's a good question. I've never thought of it. I'd probably buy, I'd probably buy a collectible. Um, you know what I'd probably do? 
if I, I mean, it depends on much of a lotto I won. I mean, if we're talking the Euro Millions, then <laughs> I'd probably go and buy that 1.1 million bottle of Macallan and, yeah. and just open it just to piss people off and drink it. <laughs> put some uh, put some Coca Cola in it. Yeah, yeah. Put a bit of Coke in it. Invite some friends around. I'd probably do that because it's like the most expensive bottle I ever sold. So it's like should be open and drink. <laughs> Brilliant answer, and, uh, and and we're called whiskey and things. So although although we do cover a lot of whiskey stuff, uh, things is also quite important to us. So during this uh, pandemic, what's the what's the one thing you've really missed that's not whiskey related? You know, I was driving into the office to um, but to come to do this podcast with you, and I was just looking at everybody sitting out in the field. Now that Boris said it's cool to do it, and everyone's out in the green, and they're all drinking cans and stuff, and I just. I guess that's, you just missed being around the people that you like hanging out with. You guys are in the music as well, right? You was in a band or what? Yeah, we're both musicians, yeah. Yes, yeah, I'm a singer-songwriter, Nick plays bass, so we're, that's our danger. Music, music and whiskey, that's not, that's not a bad combination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a tried and tested method, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to the Whiskey and Things podcast. Tried and tested indeed. I, I really enjoyed that. I feel tried and tested. <laughs> Every week when you record a podcast with me. At 11.30 in the morning. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so yes, that, that was really interesting. We are going to be trying an Indian whiskey, aren't we? We are. That's what I found really interesting, actually. We're trying in a few weeks the John Paul edited single malt whiskey. So that is a proper whiskey as opposed to the, the kind of whiskeys that he also talked about, yeah. some of their big sellers, which aren't strictly whiskeys. Yes, with the rum and all that kind of stuff, the spirit. Yeah, this one we're going to be trying as he uses Indian barley and Scottish peated barley. So it's a peated Indian whiskey, which will be interesting. Um, we'll let you know when, we, when we're going to taste that. We'll do that in a few weeks, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was really fascinating. As I said, I've said it a few times now, but it's worth repeating. The full interview, which is about an hour long, uh, will go up on our Patreon page and we'll be putting up some selected highlights of other things that he said or just in a bit more detail of what he had already talked about uh, on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Yeah. Yes. So if you'd like to know more about Jay and the Whiskey and Wealth Club, you can find the Whiskey and Wealth Club on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash whiskey and wealth, on Instagram at Whiskey Wealth Club and on LinkedIn at whiskey-wealth-club. Now that's whiskey with an E. Uh, also, crazy times. he has this uh, YouTube channel and group with two other guys called Craft Whiskey Boys. Yeah, it's really good. I watched a few videos. Uh, they've got a load of videos where they really go into detail. They try a load of whiskeys. They do various different things. It's very, very good indeed. And that on Twitter is at Craft Whiskey Boy and on Instagram at craft.whiskey.boys. And on YouTube, just look up Craft Whiskey Boys. We will put links in our blah, 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 blahs, as always. <laughs> you know where they are. Yeah, you know where they are. And But yeah, seriously, go and check, this, check these guys out. If you're interested in whiskey, well worth checking out. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to go and hang out with those guys at some point because he's a fan of barbecuing and he's got an offset smoker as well, which we found out in the, uh, in the long interview. Um, whiskey and barbecue, yes, please. It's the best yes. marriage. It's the best marriage. Please. Whiskey and brisket. Mm -mm. <laughs> oh, mm, smoke that sausage. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick, you can set up an OnlyFans talking about sausage. Anyway, mate, yeah, your barbecue sauce too. Oh, mate, oh, it's, exactly. all coming it's all coming together. Yeah. 
number 10. Number 10's over. Thanks for tuning in. It's been an, another good show. Nick, I have really enjoyed this whiskey. You're liking that? I, I, once again, it's another one where I've, I've not left myself such a big sip at the bottom of the glass this time. Nice. I've run uh, out already, mate. But I've, I've really enjoyed this. It's nice to know us English can make a nice whiskey. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Who knew indeed? So a, a couple of other things to finish up on. Uh, first of all, last week at this point, we talked about the fact that you sell prints, Nick. I do. I do sell prints on my site. Um, you don't know where I'm going with this, do you? I don't, mate. Well, well I know the fact that prints of you at the moment aren't aren't available. I haven't put them up yet. What? Yeah, I know. They were for a little bit, but then I kind of, I felt a bit weird like selling prints of artists without their permission and I didn't ask You've got you. my permission. Come on. You, you never needed to ask me permission. I know, but you know. It's just the way I am. friends are for, Nick. Anyway, oh, George, hey, George or Josh yeah. uh, on Twitter said, sent Whiskey and Things uh, a tweet saying that he has in the past purchased a Nick print and it's one of his favourite possessions, 10 out of 10 service. Oh, thank you. So I'm doing, doing some plugging for your business for you there, Nick. Thanks, dude. Thank you, Josh. We, we, we've had a number of lovely comments, as, as always. But once again, we've had someone start going through everything from the beginning, late. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And uh, Nick Barnes has got in contact to say that he's finally got round to listening and he loves how much fun it is. But because in our first episode, or maybe in our first couple of episodes, we talked about food, whiskey and food. Oh, yeah, we did, And whiskey-flavoured things. Yeah. And that's another thing we're going to get round to yeah. with our cocktails when we can get together. Yeah. I forgot to say back then that I did actually have whiskey-flavoured coffee in my cupboard the whole time, and I didn't bring it up. And it's rubbish, by the way. So you know. We've got whiskey coffee, we've got whiskey chocolate, we've got whiskey marmalade. Yeah. Someone this week has sent, I can't remember who it was, someone sent me a whiskey, a recipe for making whiskey popcorn. Interesting. But Nick has, Nick has just done this, which has actually blown me away. Jameson's pancakes. Oh, so, oh, I'm getting whiskey maple syrup in my head. Right, so he, he said there are two ways of doing it. The simplest is slosh Jameson's into a pan. Slosh is such a great word. It is great. Uh, maybe 200 milliliters. Start warming on the stove. Add a load of sugar, perhaps 200 grams. I love, I love how accurate perhaps. it is. Yeah, perhaps uh, 200 heat grams. Heat and stir until bubbling and sugar is devolved. Big squirt of lemon juice, like 20 or 30 mils, and serve. It's hard to get wrong. <laughs> yeah, how big is a squirt? And the, the less simple version of the recipe starts with butter or vegan equivalent, but it's basically the same. So, yeah. Interesting. Definitely, I, I think we should make some whiskey pancakes. Lockdown whiskey um, pancakes. And we should get some whiskey marmalade on them. <laughs> and maybe melt some whiskey chocolate that I have onto these pancakes. We could try lots of different things. But yeah, I'm excited about our whiskey food day. But he is, he, he finishes to say that he is, we have inspired him to rootle through his whiskey cupboard. Another great word there. Uh, to drink along. Rutal. Rutal through. I'm not trying to spell um, that. <laughs> and he's asked if there is any chance of a Talisker episode. Has he really said that? He has really said that. Wow. Which leads us nicely on to next week's whiskey. Next week we are trying the Ardbeg. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're trying a 10-year Talisker single malt next week, aren't we? So, Nick, thanks for Hopefully you may have caught up by then so you can drink along with us. Uh, but if anyone has tried the Talisker 10-year-old, please do get in contact with your own tasting notes. Yeah, please. Uh, and if you have any other whiskey-related stories or any stories you want us to share with us about what we're up to in the pod or other things, please do. Yeah. In all the usual ways. Please. Also next week... Yeah, go uh, on. We've got 
hopefully we've got a buddy on. You remember yeah. him? You remember the ginger guy? He's a vlogger. He's a vlogger, Dave. He's a vlogger. Went on tour with you years ago. He's quite forgettable. Luke, I'll tell you all what, about him. Luke Cutforth. Robbie Coles. Oh, Robbie Coles. <laughs> Robbie. Robbie Coles oh, is hopefully on the Robbie. show next week. You probably know him at the moment as vlogger from the Ranganation show um, hosted by Ramesh Ranganathan. So, yeah. And he's coming on our little show, is he? He's coming on our little show. He's oh. an absolute legend he came on our youtube show back in 2014 and threatened everyone with a hammer so he let's did. see what happens this hopefully time he's calmed down hopefully he's uh <laughs> so thanks for listening and uh hopefully we'll see you in another 10 episodes good album that 10 anyway bye everyone bye